Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand behind the pulpit just to preach. Lord, the written, preserved word of God. I pray that you just help me to preach it and not give my opinions, my thoughts, but just what your word says. Lord, that it would help, encourage, and strengthen the body here. Lord, I thank you for it. Thank you that it's quick and powerful and that we're able to understand it and apply it to our lives. I just pray that you'd use it and give me wisdom and help me to just preach what you'd have to be preached. In Jesus' name, amen. There's many things I thought about. We're going to have to outline this. Which direction should go with it? I think after studying the passage, it's pretty clear what the main teaching is. It's really the word of God. You look over and over again, Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Verse 3 or verse 4, I'd say is probably one of the, I guess you'd say the thesis maybe of chapter 4. I'm not my grammar teacher back there would probably maybe smack my hand at saying that, but that's what it seems like to me. So we're just going gonna to talk about the words of the Lord. According to scholars today, the Word of God is in constant need of reshaping, constant need of reforming. Um, they're uncertain. We don't know what they are. We have to find them. And, you know, we're supposed to leave that to the scholars and trust the scholars that they know, you know all of these the, the texts and the scrolls and all that. We're just laymen. We don't you know, know what we're talking about. We just need to listen to them like there's some authority. And, and as they search and they search and they search, things keep changing and things keep changing. And that is not how God intended his word to be dealt with or handled. An example of this, if you have a Schofield Bible, which I do, sort of hang my head in shame, look at Mark chapter 16. You probably might not have that, but there's notes, at least in the bottom of my Bible. Schofield says this about the last 12 verses of Mark chapter 16. The passage from verse 9 to the end is not found in the two most ancient manuscripts, the Synodic and the Vatican, and others have it with partial omission and variations, but it is quoted by Uranus and Hippolytus in the 2nd or 3rd century. So what he's saying there is, is now these words, they might be the word of God, they might not be the word of God, just take it with a grain of salt. That's 12 verses of the Bible that he's saying that about. It's, 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 it's for those of us that know the truth, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, that, I mean, that's, that's crazy. 12 verses, I don't you know, who knows if those are supposed to be there or not. That's not the only thing. You know, Schofield, look, Genesis chapter 1. You know, you'd think we learn the, the passage of Genesis in Sunday school. God created the heaven and the earth. It's, it's pretty, pretty basic. It's pretty easy to understand. But Schofield says this. <laughs> the word day is used in Scripture in three ways. That part of the solar day of 24 hours, which is light, such a day set apart for some distinct purpose as a day of atonement, day of judgment, a period of time 
long or short, during which certain revealed purposes of God are to be accomplished as the day of the Lord. Now that is true. The day is, you know, Daniel's 70th week talks about days. Those are days of weeks. But it's pretty clear morning and evening. We have a seven-day week based off of God's seven-day creation. And he goes on, The use of evening and morning may be held to limit day to the solar day, but the frequent parabolic use of natural phenomena may warrant the conclusion that each period of day was a period of time marked off by a beginning and an ending. So he's saying a day, it might just be you know, a period of time. Him, him, the reason he says morning and evening, it might just be you know, him using that to cut the dates off. And he, the reason Schofield is saying that is because of the influence of evolution. He believes in a gap theory. But again, you know, we, we can't understand the words of God. You know? it, that's all alle- Genesis chapter 1. It's all allegorical. You know, we can't understand it. We just, just guess at it. Hope things, you know, hopefully we're right. We'll find out when we get to the judgment. That's not how God intended us to, to use and to study and to live by his word. Jesus is very clear. The very words of God are essential to the Christian life. He said that the very words of God must be lived by. Look at verse 4 back of our text, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word, it says. And, you know, food, he uses food here as bread. You and I, it is a necessity for you and I to eat food, is it not? If we do not eat food, you know, we we raise birds. I know if for some reason those birds aren't fed, what first happens is they start to get weak. And they might just sit there. And you can walk up, you can sort of push them along. They're, they're weak, then they'll start to get sick, and they'll start to die. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread only. You know, we're the same way. You know, if we don't eat, we'll get sick, we won't be useful, and we'll eventually die. Jesus says, man's not to live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is a necessity. We have to live by the word of God. And if we don't know what the words are, if we don't have the words, we're in trouble because we're supposed to live by the word. And that's my first point. The necessity for preservation is clearly taught here. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Our very life is dependent upon it. Our eternal life. Deuteronomy chapter 30, we'll start in verse 11. This is Jesus talking to the children of Israel. It says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it into us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. He's saying you have it. It's not some far off, my will, my word is not some far off distant thing. You have it there with you. You know what you're supposed to do. You have my commandments. It's not 
You don't have to search for it. You know, it's right there in the Bible. You have it. They had the Torah. They had the law. And it, he's saying it's not some far off thing. And he goes on, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that matches up pretty good with Matthew chapter 4. If we don't have the word of God, we don't have life. You know, the children of Israel going through the wilderness trying to make it to the promised land is a picture of, promised land is a picture of spiritual victory. And Jesus says, if you obey my words, you'll get there. You will have spiritual victory. If you don't obey my words, you won't. You'll be destroyed. You'll fall. You'll perish. And we see that all throughout the Bible, man is given a choice. Obey God's word, you have them. It's not some far distant off thing. My will is very clear, you know, especially with salvation. Salvation is very clear. Either you have it or you don't. And we don't have to try to figure out how to be saved. The Bible is very clear on what salvation is. God's word is given to us. We have it. It is preserved. It is a necessity. And it is life to us. And secondly, we see that they are the words of God. If you look back at Matthew chapter 4 of our text, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's very clearly inspiration. They are God-breathed words. 2 Timothy 3.16, we all know these passages. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. And that word perfect there means complete. We can be who the Lord wants us to be because we have the very words of God. It's clear. It's, 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 it's up to us whether or not we're going to take heed to them. Psalm 12, verses 6 through 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. We shall keep them. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And that word keep in the Bible is protect, guard, preserve. And it's clearly saying the Lord will keep those words. He will protect them. He will preserve them from this generation forever. We have the words of God in this book. We don't have to guess what the will of God is. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to, you know, pray and seek, Lord, I just don't understand what your will is. No, we have it. It's clear. You know, we have all that pertains to life and godliness in this book. That doesn't mean that we're not ever going to come to a situation where we're like, we're not going to be clear as far as what we should do. And if we don't feel comfortable with something, the Bible tells us we should just wait. We should wait for peace. If you don't have peace with something, the Lord wants you to wait. Or maybe he just doesn't want you to do it. But we have all the answers. It's very clear. But it's up to us whether or not we're going to take heed to them. But again, Matthew chapter 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We have to have God's word. And to all these scholars that would scoff at what I'm... I mean, they, they do. They, they're, they, they're so 
they think they're so intellectually high. And I'm not saying everybody that holds to, you know, that reads out of an NIV has that attitude, but a lot of the scholars do. You know, there's people that teach uh, a seminary. You tell them that, that the received text and the, and the Masoretic text are the best text, they'll laugh at you. They, they say, you're crazy, you're ignorant. But that's what we have. We have the very words of God. And it doesn't take a scholar <laughs> to know that. You don't have to know and you know, everything all about the text and all that. All you really have to do is believe God, believe that he kept his word, believe that we have it. It doesn't take, and I think it's good, it's, it's very good to study bibliology, to understand how God kept his word in the Old Testament through Israel and the New Testament through his churches. But it doesn't take a genius. Every one of us can know we have God's word because you know, if we believe the Bible, and that's really what it is, it's when they doubt, when they question, it's, it's just a form of unbelief or it's ignorance. I, f- I fear for many it's ignorance because they're not being taught. But we can know God's will. That is wonderful. And for years, in my teenage years, I, well, I struggled with that. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, the you know, decisions I was supposed to make, so I went and talked to my pastor about it. <laughs> and at the time, it was Pastor Webb. He says, you don't have to have everything all figured out right now. Just stay here, serve at the church, do what you're doing now. You're, you're, you know, just obey. And the Lord will lead you and the Lord will guide you. And that was such a relief to me that I don't have to guess, I don't have to wonder. But I know. I know what God's will is. I know what my purpose is. And I can therefore live by that, that purpose. But secondly, we see the necessity uh, for subservience to the word of God. That word subservience means willing to obey without question. We must be willing to obey without question, regardless of want. We see Jesus did this. Jesus was fully man. Look at verses 2 through 4, Matthew chapter 4. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. <laughs> he was starving. 40 days. I, I did some research. Most people, a lot of doctors say you can't live 40 days. Obviously, you can. There's other doctors that say you, know, you can live, some say, it's like three or four months. Um, but regardless, he was in the process of, of literally starving in the wilderness. And it says Jesus, you know, Jesus was tempted, and his response was, you know, Satan came to him and asked him, if thou be, if you are the Son of God, prove yourself to me. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus, as a man, was subjected to the Father's will. He obeyed it. He trusted it. That's uh, the God of heaven. You know, he, he was still deity, but at the same time, he was 100% a man. Can I explain all that? No. <laughs> but I believe it because the Bible teaches it. He was starving. But he, he, subject, he, he, he subjected himself to God, to God the Father and his will. 
Look at Psalm chapter 23. We all know Psalm 23. Verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I, I see a lot of signs that say the Lord is my shepherd. That's wonderful. It continues on. The verse continues on. I shall not want. Shall not want. <laughs> you ever want things that the Lord hasn't given you? That your provider, your shepherd, hasn't given to you? The one who watches for your soul, the one whose responsibility is to feed you and to lead you through this life. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus was content with what the Father was allowing him to go through at the time. You know, he was still God. He didn't have to subject himself. And we're gonna, There's more here. We see how Jesus was subjected to the Father's will. But he, he, could have, he could have provided bread for himself. Very, he's God. But he didn't. I think of Abraham. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, then an Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham, who had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a son, was willing to lay his son's life down and kill his own son because God's word told him to, because that was God's commandment. But he also knew, he, he, he believed God. He believed that, that he told him, it says here, then Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead. He believed that the Lord was going to raise up Isaac from the dead. He trusted the Lord no matter what. He didn't question you look. He just went. And he called the place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That's, that's an amazing thing. You and I if we just subject ourselves to the word of God and trust and not fear, not want, not covet what the Lord hasn't given us, even in the most perilous times when we feel like we're starving and we don't see a way out. This world is, is hurting, greatly hurting, and they don't have a shepherd. They're trying to provide for themselves no wonder they've lived their lives you know, trying to, to, to you know, work and, and bring in you know, wealth to provide for themselves because it's all about their self. They don't have a great shepherd. We do. We ought not live like that so often that we do. We have God's word. We should trust it. We should subject ourselves to it regardless of our want. And we see that we have life through obedience to every word. Look at Matthew chapter 10. 
You know, it's, it's through obedience. It's through obedience to the Word of God. And many people might say that's not true. But it's through obedience to the Word of God that we're saved. That's not a work. That's, that's belief. That's putting our trust in Him. That's coming to the Lord, asking Him to save us, repenting of our sins, turning from self. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39, it says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be, thy, be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, I will give you life. If you follow your life for yourself, you're going to lose your life. God's word gives life and life more abundant. Not just salvation, but victory over sin. We must be obedient. Our very life depends on, again, in Matthew chapter 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We are to live by it. That's how we go throughout our lives. It's an ongoing process. And we see we must do this regardless of a corruptible gain that we might think we can obtain for ourselves in disobedience to his word. If it costs disobedience, we should run away from it. Verses 8 through 9 it says in Matthew chapter 4, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world in the glory of, the, in the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is, rent, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The devil... Now, this is... We're under Satan's dominion. This earth is cursed by sin, and Satan rules it. And Satan says, I'll, I'll give you dominion. I'll give you this earth. But I want you to think about something. What if Jesus had accepted and bowed down and worshipped? He wouldn't have had to go to the cross. He wouldn't have had to die. He would have had the world, but it would have been a sin-cursed world a corruptible world, or a world still with pain, with suffering. But he could have had it. He could have taken it. He didn't have to go to the cross. It was offered to him. You know, you and I, often in life, we have the opportunity to gain corruptible things. Maybe... You know, by sacrificing our time to come to church on Sunday, we're able to gain more goods, gain more riches, gain that job promotion at the cost of losing, of losing incorruptible goods, eternal goods that last forever. Why would, why would we do that? 
I mean, we're, we're so we're so fickle in our minds. But Jesus, again, sub, subjected himself to his Father's will, and quoted Scripture. Thirdly, or secondly, we see the necessity for wielding the Word of God. Look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. The Word of God is what the Lord is going to use to destroy His enemies in the end time. It says, And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword, which is, that's the word of God. It's a sword. It's his weapon. And you and I have the privilege of having the very words of God that we can use as our weapon. When you look at, I believe it's, Ephesians chapter 6, it has the the whole armor of God. All of the things listed are all defensive until you get to the sword, which is the word of God. It is the only offensive weapon that we have. But we see we must rightly divide the scriptures. (laughs) Satan knows the scriptures. He quoted scriptures here. Look at... Let's see here. I'm kind of getting my head of myself. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, Satan is quoting scripture, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. There's so many people, they, they, they think that these preachers, you know, is it, who is it, is it, who is it that somebody's preaching in Raleigh? I don't, is somebody, uh, Graham, is it, maybe it's Franklin Graham. Somebody, so many people are, are willing to listen to men that spew out lies because they throw in a little bit of truth with it. And we listen to, to you know, CCM music. People are willing to listen to it because there's little truths in it. We're, we're willing to listen to, to, to bad preaching because some preacher, oh, he's, he's well-intended and, and he's, there are, there's some good in there. That, that's dangerous. You can so easily be deceived. And Satan is a deceiver of the brethren. He walketh about as a roaring, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he knows the scriptures. He will use the scriptures to try to influence you, to make you think they say what they don't say. Look at Psalm 91. This is a passage that Satan was quoting. Psalm 91, verse 9, uh, 9, 9 through 12. Because thou hast made the because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge. Oh, this is this is the words at least. Most people believe it's the words of Moses. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitations, they shall, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh uh, thy dwelling. 
for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Hopefully you held your finger back over there at our, our passage. Satan said, It is written, He shall give uh, his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. What did he leave out there? He left a phrase out. To keep thee in all thy ways. Moses was committed to obeying and keeping the words of the Lord. That's what that passage is saying. And Satan just throws it out there. Oh, no, no, you have, no, think, think of preachers that might say this today. Oh, you're saved. You're saved. You can just, just claim this promise. Don't worry about that sin in your life or whatever. You're saved. Just claim those promises. No, no. We must interpret Scripture, rightly divide Scripture, and understand it in its context. It's, that's, I believe that's why our churches have become so corrupt. And not all of Scripture applies to everything. Now, we have in the Bible everything that pertains to life and godliness, but not every verse, you know, can be, you know, used for every problem. For instance, let's say, let's say somebody comes to you and says, you know, you're out witnessing, and you ask a person, when, when were you born again? And the person says, well, I got baptized when I was the age of six or seven. Hello. Wrong answer, right? Uh, us that are discerning, we should know that's, that's a wrong answer. So what do we do? We open the Bible. All right, we're going to show him, teach this guy from Scripture here. Job 34, verse 3 says, For the ear trieth words as the mouth tasteth meat. Did you hear that? For the ear trieth words as the mouth tastes meat. There, I showed him. I taught him scripture. No, that verse did not apply. No, we must study. We must know how to rightly divide the truths and be able to explain them. You know, we would say, you know, we're saved not of works, lest any man should boast, and many other passages. But that takes time. It takes study. No, every word of God is powerful, but not <laughs> to fight against everything. So it's important. And as I said, I think that's why so many of our churches, we tolerate, preachers and pastors tolerate, well, that pastor's well-intended, that preacher's well-intended. And you know, he said, he said, he said good things. But, and it creeps in, we must be vigilant. I'm thankful that, you know, some of the things that pastors said about Brother Stevenson. Brother Stevenson, that revival was a blessing. Amen. I mean, it was a tremendous blessing. But I'm thankful that there was things that pastor addressed. Because he pastor was 100% right. That were, there were things there that weren't 100% correct. And that when that comes in, they must be talked about. They must be pointed out and dealt with. Because if they're not, you know, not that you're young, but I think of, I'm going to pick on my brother. My younger brother, Ryan, you know, he hears that and thinks, oh, well, that's right. When it's not truth, it's not right. And he goes and he teaches somebody else. Or he's witnessing and he tells somebody else, this is what this passage says. That's not what it says. We must be careful. 
and you know these the doctrines in the local church and all these people are taught and these college universities they you know yeah they're well intended but they're teaching wrong and it's spreading like wildfire that's why these the fundamentalist cliques where people you know find fellowship around five fundamentals it's so dangerous that's why the Lord says, come out from among them, be separate. He said that to the churches, not for every Christian believer. It's not talking about every Christian believer separating from the world. No, it's talking about the church coming out from the world and being separate. We shouldn't seek to find common ground where there's not common ground. I know that, again, as I said, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here with this, but it's a good reminder that we have God's word. It's preserved. We can know the will of the Lord. We can know what our mission is as Lighthouse Baptist Church, as Dave Welch of High Flight Gamebirds, myself. We can know what we're supposed to be doing and do it in confidence. And without want, without worry, it just takes trust. The word is very nigh into us. We have it. So I ask you, are you taking heed to the words of God? Do you find all the words of God important? Are you applying all the words of God to your life because we are to live by them? Or are you just taking, oh, I like a word here. Oh, I like a word here. And not taking it all in its context. We must live by the whole counsel of God the complete word of God, and we must use it as our weapon. Are you losing a spiritual battle? Are you struggling with a sin that you just can't get victory over? Are you using the sword? That's our only offensive weapon. We must use it. We must use it to fight temptation. And I'm thankful we are in a sound church with a pastor that's vigilant, and that cares about us. You know, it's not easy <laughs> to, to point out a false doctrine when, you know, when somebody says, you know, good things. It's not, as a pastor, a lot of churches, they would, you know, they would just let that slide. But it takes a man that's bold and a man that's sincere and that's willing to obey the whole counsel of God to come up and, and to, to explain, no, that wasn't exactly right. I'm thankful for us. But all of us, you know, we need to be vigilant. We need to watch. Let us be studying. I'm thankful for my church.